Last week, we began a series entitled Healed. Healed. Past tense. And we talked about God's thoughts toward healing. And so if you weren't here last week, I, I do highly suggest, I don't say this very often, but I do suggest that you go to gracelifeonline.com and listen to last week's message because it is vital that you understand God's thoughts toward sickness. Because whenever you start to, if, if you don't know God's thoughts toward sickness, you might be settling for things that God never intended for you to settle for. And you're not expecting things that God wants you to experience in your life. So it starts with that foundation of of knowing his thoughts toward sickness. But in case you weren't here, I'll just tell you, we have to understand, it is vital that we understand that it is never, ever, ever, no, not ever, God's will that you are sick. And it is never, ever, ever God's will that you are in pain. Now, whenever I say things like that, unfortunately, that's a controversial statement. Why? I have no idea. Well, I have my thoughts. Maybe we'll get into that here in a minute. But, you know, sometimes I think if I got up here and I said, y'all bunch of lousy sinners, you guys, you're a stench in the nostrils of God, lowly worms, you'd be lucky to get a crumb under the table, let alone a seat. Are you out of your minds? Man, people would be throwing their money at the altar. They would be coming in by the droves. Just so many people would want to hear that amazing message. I don't understand it. I don't understand why so many people are upset when I say uh, God wants you well. 100% of the time. 100%. I think we think that I'll say it. I'll just say it. Because whenever we know that it's always God's will that we're well, that means we can't point the finger at God whenever we're not well. It's easier to blame God than it is to take responsibility for our own actions. We're just coming out the gate swinging this morning. Aren't you glad you're here? I, it's, it's not meant to be condemning. You're, you shouldn't hear a statement like that and feel worse. What you should do is you hear something like that saying, oh, well, if there's a hang-up, I know it's not God. So that means I have a, a say. And it means that the things that maybe I've been doing my whole life that got me to this very moment of pain, of sickness, of whatever it is, I have the opportunity to change it. But why would you keep doing the things that you've always done expecting different results? It's insanity. But so many of us are unwilling to let go of the way we've always done it and, and do it a little bit differently and see things a little bit differently because it's familiar to us. But I'm asking you, if this is new to you, if you've never heard that God wants you well or, or you're, maybe you're experiencing something, I, I encourage you this morning to wrap your mind around the fact that it is a done deal. God's will for you is to be well, and now it's up to us to walk in that healing. Amen? All right. God has called each and every one of us to live on earth as it is in heaven. I say it every week. I will say it every week. That is what God wants for you, to live kingdom life on earth as it is in heaven. And he wants it so badly that he's already placed the kingdom of God on the inside of you. I'm not going to go there right now because I refer to it a lot, but Luke 17, 20 says that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is within you. But Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who 
has blessed, another past tense statement. So where it's not just healed in past tense, but it's blessed in, in past tense. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now, if, if some of you may know this, but in a lot of translations, there'll be words in italics. And that means it wasn't in the original text. It was added there because they had to make these translations make some sense. But in, in many of your translations, places, heavenly places, is in italics. It wasn't in the original text. So Ephesians 1.3 really should say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven. That's how that statement should read. That means that if there's no sickness in heaven, you shouldn't expect sickness in your life because he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heaven. Glad Tim's in here today. We have to wrap our minds around this. And not just a passing thought, not just a mental understanding, but let this sink from your head into your heart where you are absolutely convinced that this is God's will for your life 100% of the time. And how do you know if it's gone from here to here? How do you react whenever the symptoms hit you? That's how you know. Oh, here we go again. Got that seasonal allergies again. Uh, I've, I've said this a lot, and I said it last week, that uh, I made up my mind about 10 or 11 years ago that I'm not going to get seasonal allergies, and I'm, I just don't get them anymore. I, didn't, I was never against healing. I was never against the fact that God wants you well. I just didn't know. And that was, that, I, I talk about it a lot because that's, that's a minor thing. It's not that big of a deal. Seasonal allergies. We can put up with it. So we do most of the time. But I made up my mind that that's not going to happen, so I, I don't get them anymore. Now, you, that doesn't mean that I've never had a symptom. What that means is when a symptom hits, I say, no. No, 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 no. Just a couple weeks ago, I woke up and I was like a little clogged. I was like, uh-uh. That was my prayer. Lord, uh-uh. Amen. And then it was, and then I, I it went, it just cleared up. I don't know. I just, but, so it, if you get a symptom, how do you respond? You don't say, oh man, I was believing for no allergies this year and now my nose is stuffy. I guess it didn't work. Maybe it's not God's will. Maybe I have too much sin in my life. I don't know. Everyone comes up with a different reason why. But no, the symptoms, the things are going to come against you. I don't ever want you to leave this place thinking that everything, whenever you get it, that nothing's ever going to come against you. A lot of things are going to come against you. How are you going to respond to it? That's the question. And if you understand the power that you possess, that everything that God has is, or all his promises are in past tense throughout the new covenant, man, you're going you're gonna to stand up and fight. You're not going to settle for less than heaven on earth. Last week, again, we talked about how we can know for certain that it's God's will for us to be well by looking at Jesus. I'm just going to fly through this part real quick because I got a lot to say. Long way to go, short time to get there. It's a song. Look at Jesus. Jesus said that he could only do what he saw the Father do. He said, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So if you want to know God's thoughts on any matter, not just sickness, but on any of them, look no further than Jesus. 
It's that simple. How did Jesus treat sickness? Well, it says in Acts 10, I think it's verse 38, that he healed all who came to him, all who were oppressed by the devil. Not some, not the ones who, who were sinless, because none of them would have got healed then. Not the ones that confessed their sin. Not the ones that served or read their Bible every day. All. The worst of the worst were healed. The people that we in the church sometimes just push away and say, we're done with. Fix yourself before you're allowed in our little social club. He healed them. The only time... I think I've, me and Russell, who, who was Russell said this earlier. The only people that Jesus really got onto were the church people, the religious folks, the people that, that would always try to talk everyone else out of the blessings of God. That's the only time he, he would get upset. That's when he would flip tables. Not for you saying little potty words or smoking your cigarette and all that. So when people hear me say stuff like that, and you're saying, oh, you're just saying that you can, we can do whatever we want. Kind of, yeah, I am, but, but it, that doesn't, you can do whatever you want, and it doesn't change how God feels about you, but you can experience all the goodness of God, all the promises of God if you're out there living like the devil. No, of course not. This is, it's, it's just, we got to use our brains a little bit sometimes. It's common sense. If you are just the biggest jerk out there, you're probably not going to get along with a lot of people. So be kind to one another. If you're going to go murdering people, it's not the best witness, people. <laughs> I mean, just common sense. So to say that, that God doesn't want certain things in your life just because you're not experiencing it doesn't mean that that's not true. The, true, the truth is true whether you're experiencing it or not. And now it's your opportunity to say, okay, let me redirect the ship. Let me step into something that I know that God wants for me. I don't know. I don't have all the answers quite yet, but I know that this is what he wants. And that, what does that mean? When the symptoms hit, you're not going to cower down. You're not going to fall and stay down. You're going to get back up and keep moving forward and say, well, I'm going to try it this way. No, that didn't work. That didn't work. Okay, let me try this way. That didn't work. Oh, here it is. Here it is. And then we just keep moving forward. We never, ever stop. Because God's will is that you are healed all the time. I got to keep saying it. I got to keep saying it because we get the, what about Uncle Bob? He, was, he had cancer. We were believing God and he died. We got to quit using our circumstances as doctrine, first of all. There's a lot of reasons why bad things happen in this world. But I can tell you one thing that I know for certain. It is not God's will that Uncle Bob died. It's not God's will that your, my mom died. Sometimes we just got to look in the mirror and say, maybe it's me. We don't want that, especially in today's society. We're victims. I'm telling you, God calls you a victor. You are victorious. You are coming from a place of victory. And if you saw yourself that way, you wouldn't settle for less. You wouldn't settle for some of the things that you're settling for, me included. I do it. I catch myself, and then I, I, what are you doing? What are you doing? The church should be responding to things that our society is responding to in a much different way than it is right now. You just need to wake up. Jesus healed all. 
That's our starting place. Throughout this series, I'm going to get more in-depth with it. When I first was putting this together, this is going to be like a three-week series, and then it's going to be a little bit longer than that now. Our starting place. Sometimes I think we don't experience healing because we've made that the destination. where That's the, the peak of Mount Everest, and I just want to get healed. That's my goal. But healing isn't meant to be your summit. It's meant to be base camp so you can accomplish what God's called you to. You're not dealing with sickness anymore, so now I can step into the life that I was actually created to live. And when we're just, even the little minor aches and pains, my knees, my back, my hip, my shoulders, all that stuff that just comes with age, society says, it's keeping us from really stepping into what we're meant to step into. You can't over-spiritualize this. We'll get more into that later in the series. There are two beliefs that have helped me understand the heart of God regardless of what people say about healing. Because this is not the normal message. You don't hear this very often. So my, my starting place is 1 John 4, 8. I might not have all the answers to everything all the time, but if this is my starting place, I will find the answers. It says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. And then jump down to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God is love, and perfect love casts out all fear. So if someone comes to me and they have all the, well, I don't believe that God wants you well because of this, this, and this. I might not have an answer to every little argument against it, but I know that God is love and perfect love casts out all fear. So what if I, if what I currently believe about God goes against a loving father and it makes me afraid of him, not the fear of the Lord in a worship reverence way, but I'm actually afraid of what God might do if I sin too much or if I don't do enough to, to earn the blessings. If, if I'm afraid of God and it goes against a loving father, how a loving father would treat his kids, then I'm obviously seeing something wrong. And every time someone comes to me or I read something or I hear something that, that goes against that and I go and, and I seek the answer, not 90% of the time, but 100% of the time, I have found an answer. We just have to take our, our, those lenses off of what we, these preconceived ideas of who God is, what our favorite preacher or pastor always said growing up. We got to approach it with God is love and perfect love casts out fear. And if God's going to put cancer on me just because, eh, that scares me a little bit. That I don't have a say in this? I don't like that at all. Imagine if I did that to my kids. Just throw a little cancer on them. Just put them in a, a horrible situation. Just because they weren't really measuring up that day. And my kids mess up all the time. What do I do? We, we learn from it and we move on. I don't kick them while they're down. Can you imagine a little baby, a little one-year-old, learning to walk. And it stumbles after one step. And me, as that father, what are you, stupid? Get up. Just kicking a little baby around. That's how we think God is. We stumble. We make mistakes. And then we think that old white man with a big white beard and a big white throne with a big white light and is going to strike you with something. That could not be further from the truth because God is love and perfect love casts out all fear. So if you're not experiencing that love or if you're afraid of God, it's not 
his intention, and that is not what he wants for your life. It means you got to change the way you think. you got to rethink some, some stuff. If God is love and perfect love casts out all fear, anything that goes against that is a counterfeit gospel. A counterfeit is something made in imitation of something else with intent to deceive. My first class in Bible college, I remember, is Arthur Menchez. Uh, he, he got up and he was talking about idols, idol worship. And he said, an idol is a false representation of God, essentially a counterfeit. So if you think that God will put sickness on you, or if he's the bad guy, if he's out there stealing, killing, and destroying, then you are worshiping a counterfeit God. You're worshiping an idol. And the moment he said that, I was like, I'm going to do my best to worship the one true God. I don't want, the, I want, to, I don't want to worship the God that, that that famous preacher says. I'm going to listen to him, and I'm going to take I'm going to study it for myself, and I'm going to understand it for myself. And that's what I've always done. I hear a teaching. I don't say, well, that famous guy, he seems to be doing pretty good, so I'm just going to do what he says. No, I listen to the guy, and I study it for myself, and sometimes I agree. Sometimes I see it a little differently, and we just move on. That's how we need to do it. We can't just take other people's word for it. I don't want you to take my word for it. Showing up here and listening to me talk for 30 minutes on a Sunday isn't going to change your mind. It's not going to change your belief system. We have to, if, if this is our life and we're meant to live heaven on earth, why are, why are you just taking my word for it? Thanks, Randy. Counterfeit money looks very similar to the real thing, but it has no value. It's the same as a counterfeit gospel looks very similar, and it sounds like, eh, it makes sense. There's no value. There's no substance. It does nothing for you. Yesterday, Thomas and I were talking, and he does garage doors, and he said that some people go, his, his uh, what do you call it where you buy it? Supplier, it takes cash. And he said people go in there, or recently went in there with a wad of cash, and they even marked all the bills with one of those fancy markers, and it, it worked the way it's supposed to work, and it was all counterfeit. Completely. It looked so real, and it even did what it was supposed to do, and it was completely counterfeit. So things, things might seem like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because if this and this makes sense, and then we just piece it all together, and it's just not true. You know who's in charge of uh, uh, counterfeit looking at that stuff, or who was created for, for that? I didn't know this until recently. A secret service. Did y'all know that? Nobody. I knew it. (laughs) The Secret Service was created in 1865 to combat the rise of counterfeit currency after the Civil War. The way they spot counterfeit money isn't by knowing every little detail of the counterfeit. It's by knowing every little detail of the real thing. So if we start with God is love and perfect love casts out all fear, and you're saying, well, what about Ananias and Sapphira? God is love, perfect love casts out all fear. Some of y'all know what that is, some of y'all don't. But Ananias and Sapphira, a lot of people say that God killed Ananias and Sapphira, but that doesn't match up with God is love, perfect love casts out fear. So go look at it with that lens. What about Job? Didn't God take away everything close to Job? Didn't the Lord give and take away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. We hear it at every funeral just about. Well, that sounds like a schizophrenic God. 
someone that's going to give and take away, and I really don't know what kind of mood he's going to be in that day. Maybe we should look at it differently. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Didn't God put, give him a thorn in his flesh because he had an ego problem? Didn't he put a sickness on Paul? You know, it, it, we just, on and on and on and on. It's funny, again, that, that I could get up here and say, God is love, perfect love casts out all fear. God wants you well. He wants you to prosper and be in good health. And everybody gets upset about that, but, but we don't have a problem with God putting sickness on us. It's just it's baffling to me. Why would you worship a God that's just going to put sickness on you? I guess you're afraid of what he might do if you don't. I don't know. I didn't, I've never thought that way, so y'all... You can tell me later, but I didn't grow up in church, and so I don't have a lot of these religious teachings, so I, I, I hear people say stuff, and I'm like, what? I remember I was in a, a, at our old church. I was in a small group. We were talking about healing, how it's always God's will that you're healed, this, this stuff, everything that I'm saying, and this lady spoke up and said the, the thorn in the flesh thing. How can God want you well when he gave Paul a thorn in his flesh to keep his ego at bay? And again, I was like, I don't see that. I don't understand what you're talking about. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. It says, unless, this is the Apostle Paul talking, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I, would, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So they read that in this small group. And it's funny how we can all read the exact same thing and think that that confirms what we believe. Because I read that, and I'm like, see? And she's like, see? And what? So it's a lot of this, these preconceived ideas. We read that, and we think, see, God, he, he had an ego. He, he, he was boasting, and God put a thorn in his flesh. Some people say blindness, some sort of injury or sickness. Put it on Paul to keep his ego in check. It's funny because we can read the same thing, come away with different things. I think that's why there's over 38,000 denominations in the Christian church. Because we all read it differently. I didn't misspeak, by the way. There's 38,000 denominations that all think they're right. I wish they'd listen to my messages. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Tim. All right. So I want to go back through it quickly, all right? And this, is a, some, this should answer some of your questions. Some of this might cause more questions, but if it causes more questions, start with what? God is love. Perfect love casts out all fear. What about this? What about this? What about this? Chill. In Jesus' name. Let's go back through it. Second, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of uh, revelations. Again, they say that that's ego. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of... Wait, who? 
Oh, it's right there. I'm not trying to be mean. If that's what you I mean, I'm just trying to make a point that, that we kind of just, we're not even reading it. We're just kind of going with these preconceived ideas. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say about that. It's a messenger of Satan. I will say more in a minute, but let me move on. Let's jump down to verse 10. It says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Now, many people come to the conclusion that it was a sickness because of that word infirmities. But an infirmity, in our common communications, it, it, we talk about infirmity, that means sickness. But that's not necessarily what infirmities are. It's not limited to that. In, in fact, it's, uh, uh, the definition of infirmity is just weakness or debilitated state. Weakness or debilitated state. And if we back up, I hope Cody can uh, keep up because I, I didn't give him all these, these verses this morning. But if we back up just to the previous chapter, he talks about infirmities. This is uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. This might be a lot of information this morning, but like I said, I got a lot to say in a short time to get there. If you want more, if you want to talk about it, show up on Wednesday. You should show up on Wednesday. Anyway, verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches. No, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, I, I said that wrong. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30. That's what I meant to say. If I, bo if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. That doesn't seem to clear it up, but if we back up just a little bit more, he just listed out a whole bunch of things that he just went through. So you want to know what his infirmities are, back up to verse 23. Verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am no more. And labors more abundant, here we go. And labors more abundant. And stripes above measure, that means beatings. In prison more frequently, in deaths often. From Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Some of y'all like, heck yeah. Stoned with rocks. Like, what's wrong with that? All right. Once I was stoned, three times I, <laughs> I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. I mean, he's been through some stuff. Out in the deep, floating around. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold, in nakedness, besides other things. And what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. There's a lot here. He went through all this because of, what, because of his concern for the churches, that they need to understand the gospel of grace, to understand the gospel of the kingdom, to have a relationship with God the Father. He went through all these things, all these infirmities. If you are stepping into heaven on earth, if you're stepping into your God-given purpose, if you're trying to show people that they don't have to settle for what they've been settling for, that Christ has come and that they can live heaven on earth, things will come against you. Infirmities will happen. 
So he's saying in, in 2 Corinthians 12 again, he said, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, he's essentially saying, I know what I'm talking about. And because I know what I'm talking about and because I'm, I'm out here doing what I'm meant to be doing, I have a thorn in my flesh. Something is coming against me trying to stop. It's a messenger of Satan. Satan not being necessarily a red man with pointy tail and a pitchfork. Satan is a, 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 I just went blank, adversary. It's just something coming against you. A messenger of Satan. People, things, the devil, whatever it might be, will come against you when you start getting your life right. When things start, when you start stepping into your God-given purpose, man, that's the last thing that, that the things of this world want. It's easier just to do what society says to do. God's not stopping you. In fact, he wants you to be exalted. People think that that's pride. and that's man, God told Abraham, I will make your name great. He wants his children to be exalted. He wants the kingdom to be exalted. So to say that God would put a sickness on somebody because they have an ego or they just know too much or their revelation's too great, that is ignorant, ignorant, ignorant. I love y'all. Y'all love me. <laughs> uh, it just upsets me. And I don't think God needs me to defend him, but I want y'all to experience heaven on earth. I want you to experience the life that God has created you for. And we're settling because, man, is that really what God wants? If it's good, God wants you to experience it. Y'all should tweet that. <laughs> Write it down. If it's good, God wants it for you. You don't have to sit back and say, is this God's will for my life? If it's good, it's his will for your life. I don't know if it's good. Rest knowing that God wants only what's good for your life, and it'll become clear. Delight yourself in the Lord. All these questions you have will become clear, but I'm telling you, his will is not for you to be sick. It's not for you to be in pain. It's always his will for you to be well. There's never a time when God will put sickness on you. There's never a time where he's going to punish you. God is love, and perfect love casts out all fear. That's who God is. It's his nature. Love is his nature. It's not what he does. It's who he is. For God so loved the world. We forget that. Actually, put that up there. Just, I know we know it. I didn't have to tell him. Just put it up there. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. He gave everything. Not because, oh, I'm just putting up with these people. Dirty old sin. No. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. Eternal life is right now. It's for today. Next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that, through, or that the world through him might be saved. The last thing God wants for his children is to perish. Not somewhere, someday, right now, today. Heaven on earth. Are we settling for hell on earth? Are we settling for those little minor aches and pains, the little seasonal allergies, the cold, the things that, that just pop up? How are we going to believe for the big stuff when we're just putting up with the little stuff? 
Now, throughout the rest of this series, I'm going to talk about different ways I believe that we can all experience healing. Some of it is, is through our belief system. Some of, it's, some of us just need to be better stewards of the body we've been given. Y'all aren't going to show up. I'm not going to tell you what week that one is. But <laughs> some of us just need to use our heads. Sometimes we over-spiritualize everything. But God loves us so much that he's provided everything for us. Why aren't we using it? The cross worked. Your sins don't hold more power than the cross. Your sins don't hold more power than the cross. So let's, let's stop putting so much weight on that. God's not using sickness to teach you something or to keep your ego at bay. But things will come against you. And if you aren't, aren't firm on this foundation of, of grace, of healing, of the gospel, of the kingdom, that first symptom is going to hit you and you're just going to say, ah, I guess it's not true. I got a thorn in the flesh. Something's keeping me from, maybe that wasn't God's will. I look, whenever I come against something, I look at that as confirmation that I'm right smack in the middle of God's will. I used to think, oh, shouldn't it be easy if I was doing what God's called me to do? No, sorry. But I'm telling you, the other side of that, if you can push through, is better than anything you've ever experienced in your life. It's better than anything that you could provide for yourself. So I'm telling you, you are powerful. God wants you well. God wants you to live on earth as, as it is in heaven. Don't settle for less than that. Amen?